You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the roundup, is Pioneer on the brink of a Hogak summer? What's new and modern on the eve of Lord of the Rings? Zach Manasymbol Ryle returns from the high seas to help us dissect the latest technology from around the multiverse. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm David Robertson, joined as always by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is KDN Online, Daniel Shaver. What is going on? Hey, I'm doing well, David. It's good to see you. Good to see you as well. And we have a very special guest making an emotional return after months at sea. <laughs> is the man himself? The man, the symbol, the mana symbol. The man, the symbol, man, a symbol online. What is going on? How are things? How have you been? Hey, Dan. Hey, David. I'm so excited to be back. I've been great. Um, I just had the most, you know, musically and uh, artistically satisfying probably cruise contract of my life, which is fun. Um, I have been invited to go record drums on the album uh, of the guy who was playing guitar in that band so i'm going to be in nebraska for three weeks this uh this vacation so that's in a little while um oh dear and then uh, my next contract is going to be even better than this one uh, i hope so uh everything's going going great and in the uh professional world i just talked about it on my stream today for the first time but i've been putting in a lot of work to uh within the next year or so make a transition from uh, working as a drummer to working as a piano bar entertainer. So if anyone has any more questions about that, you can get at me on Twitter, or, or I'm sure I'll talk about more on, about it on my stream. Uh, but there should be more Magic the Gathering parody songs coming from me in the next little while. And then uh, in the next couple of years, uh, yeah, hopefully I'm going to be able to do that for a living, which should be uh, better money, and I get to run my own show. Well, there was a lot packed into that minute of updates from you right there Zach. that's a well a congratulations very happy for you yeah yeah I, I i understand that i was jumping around a little bit yeah i'm just picturing that simpsons parody song you did of the music man scene with the the mono red and so right. that's basically gonna be you right you're gonna be rolling up with your <laughs> whipping out magic cards yeah that's that's what you do you hang out in the piano bar and you uh you play a lot of sing-along songs uh, after nine you play or sorry after 11 you get to play a lot of dirty songs um whole bunch of whole bunch of classic stuff and then you can inject your own flavor into your performance um uh, get to have a lot of back and forth with uh, the guests in there so it should be fun so yeah for people that don't know zach uh currently is playing drums on cruise ships so that's what he's referring to when he's coming yep. back uh and just so people know where to find him, if they want to ask for more information, youtube.com slash mana symbol, symbol S-Y-M-B-A-L, and at mana symbol. C-Y-M-B-A-L. Oh, is, did I say it wrong? Symbol like the yeah, instrument, exactly. like a drummer would play. Yeah. Symbol like the instrument. That's the one. Yeah. Twitter at mana symbol as well. So those are the two places you can find Zach. Twitch.tv or twitch.com if you prefer slash man yep. symbol. He was streaming the day after he got back and you're going to get him what a good five weeks of streams before you have to go record in Nebraska. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, five weeks of streams. Then I'm off to Nebraska for three weeks. I might stream a couple times from there. I don't know what the recording schedule is going to be like exactly. Um, but obviously that's going to be the priority. The <laughs> but yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe. Who knows? I, I mean, because when we do my tracks, like usually you lay down drums first. So I'll be hanging out in the studio and uh, they're going to be, you know, recording bass, guitars, all sorts of nonsense. And maybe I'll just be hanging out playing Magic Online. Maybe I'll stream some of it. Who knows? Anything could happen. Well, we're super excited to have you back, Zach. Glad to hear more from you. Looking forward to having you on the podcast while you're here. We got a lot of stuff to catch up on. We actually did not put out any episode last week. I was having a bit of travel chaos myself. 
got trapped in Mexico City while a volcano was erupting, so that was a little bit awkward, and there just was no time to put out an episode, much less record one. So we got a bunch of decks, a bunch of going-ons to talk about from the last couple weeks of play in Modern and Pioneer. So we'll dig into all of that, so we'll hear more from Zach, um, hear about what's been on your mind magic-wise, and talk about some decks we liked. Yeah, so before we get to any of that, we need to do, of course, a little housekeeping at the top here. So we'd like to give a big shout out to our two newest patrons. They are Brandon R. and Pat L. Thank you very much for the support and welcome to the Faithless Brewing family. Just a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Uh, when you join, you get to join the Discord and you get to get all kinds of uh, fun ideas kicked around, uh, lots of fun chat. Um, you get to support the show. There's other fun perks. Um, you can vote for cards when we start a new monthly project. So lots of stuff happening. Yeah, absolutely. Patreon is the best way to support the podcast and just come hang out with us. We'd love to see you there. All right, Zach. So I got to ask you, have you been keeping up with the magic scene the last few weeks or months while you've been at sea? Yeah, a little bit here and there. Um, there de- definitely, usually what happens is at the beginning, I fall off big time and I don't really pay attention to too much. It's just very busy and I'm trying to stay focused on what we do. And and then over time, it kind of creeps back into uh, my my everyday life. So listening to this podcast, listening to the dive down, um, Mark Rosewater's drive to work, and then just paying attention to the general happenings. Um, so it was uh, interesting to see the shift Um I say interesting. Uh, for me, it was not an exciting proposition to see the shift that uh, every Pro Tour format, all the uh, RCQs would be required to be the same format. That is uh, not something that I'm particularly excited about, but, you know, and that's just because I don't want to play standard. Um, it was also because I assumed that they would never, ever do a modern Pro Tour, but we are getting a modern Pro Tour. So that's exciting. Pro Tour Lord of the Rings is what they're calling it. That's about two months away. Uh, We are about, or less than a week away from the official beginning of Lord of the Rings hype season. So that's all coming. Mm -hmm. It's going to be Frodo summer. Hot Hobbit summer. (laughs) Hot Hobbit summer. (laughs) Hot ring summer. Yeah. So, I mean, and other than that, I mean, just uh, paying attention to developments in uh, metagames and the occasional Twitter drama, you know, nothing that that where anyone's going to be talking about uh, too much further in the future. It is a great game to enjoy as a as a hobby and not be so heavily invested in. Yeah, I feel that. That's well said. I think you likened the cruise ship to just like waking up from a coma every few months and <laughs> finding all these new toys to play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's very exciting, actually. So you briefly mentioned a standard RCQ season. I did see some confirmation online that that's going to happen at the beginning of next year. So we're currently in a Pioneer RCQ season. There is a big Pioneer tournament the regional championships happening next weekend. At least that's the U.S. regional championships. After that, we go back to modern. Is that right? And then standard coming up for the following RCQ season. There is, however, like big news on the standard front. And David, I guess you probably follow standard closer than any of us. What are you expecting from this upcoming band day? (laughs) (laughs) To say that I follow closer is not to say that I follow closely. I mean, they're certainly going to ban something. Um, the percentage of cards at the last Pro Tour was sort of ridiculously slanted to a very narrow set of cards. Um, I, I think for sure Fable's going to be banned. I mean, that that's the center of the discourse. What the other cards ought to be is a hilarious variety of cards that people insist are broken. Um, so I, I, if I was them, I would just ban Fable. Um, but I certainly am not a standard player, so... Uh, Frank Karsten wrote a very interesting Twitter uh, chain that sort of suggested a very like modal sense, like a very rigid uh, sense of requirements for what a card must do to be banned. I thought that was a really interesting criteria. That would lead to banning a bunch of cards we would not think of bannable. Um, of course, other people are, you know, wanting to ban everything out of black. Uh, Meat Hook Massacre is certainly one of the worst cards to ever be banned in standard. Um, so it's hilarious that Black already has a card that's significantly worse than multiple played cards that's banned. 
Uh, and they'll probably still have to ban some more cards from Red Black. So. so there was a leak going around last week, a week or two ago, that has been called fake. It had like 15, 20 cards on it. <laughs> like everything from a track I think it had eight, but that... It felt like 15. That was still nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was very... Um, it looked like the Scorched Earth banning that they did in Modern that one time. Uh, when they took out Uro and four other cards, uh, for Standard to have that happen, it would be insane, except for that they just had announced uh, the expansion of the Standard format into a three-year format, and that that apparently fake article did, in fact, cite that as, here's the reason why we're banning all these things. So it was well-written as a fake. I mean, if that is fake, if that is the case that those are not the actual list of cards that are being banned it was well written um and kind of it it read like a wizard's ban announcement it's like hey we're banning these cards because they're all over the place and we don't want you to see them for three more years uh also we're banning these other cards because we think that they're going to be suddenly the best deck so we need to get ahead of that uh we'll see what happens but fable Fable definitely seems like the one that's going to go. Yeah, I had I had no opinions about the individual cards on that fake leak because we don't really talk about yeah. standard here at all. But it was interesting just as a kind of as a curiosity about what will the three-year standard look like? Is there going to be, you know, a, a massive shift in the band philosophy, which I guess we will find out when they put out something next week. The problem, Dan, with the philosophy, though, is that they also chose, I think, poorly to hem themselves in. So this is mm-hmm. the only ban announcement until this other scheduled ban announcement, like months, right. months from now. So that's why I think an obviously fake um, leak was considered as real is if you actually are taking away your tools, your ability to manipulate the format, then you do have to be very heavy handed with your bans now, because if it doesn't fix the problem. Uh, then you're just stuck with these cards or you have to, or you have to go back on your policy you just announced. So, you know, I don't, I don't understand wizard's mentality on this. And, and I do think they are going to have to change their ban philosophy, but one of the things they should change is their, <laughs> they don't want to constantly have to be saying there's no bands. Like every Monday announce there's no bands. Okay, fine. But at least revisit it like quarterly or something. I mean, it's just crazy that if they don't ban a card now, I, I the next ban time is like November or something. When they reconsider, I mean, it's some kind of cre- yeah. Is that is that accurate that it's not quarterly? It's like yearly. I, I didn't follow that so closely. That's what uh, I think Andrew Brown and Huey Jensen said something to that effect um, last week. That just seems insane. Like a major band window every summer before rotation, and yep. then apart from that, only dire emergency bands. Which I guess that's their out clause. So I was wondering if that's. If like that's just a signal that this is all fake, right? Like, I mean, obviously there's going to be they're going to ban whenever they want to. Just like yeah, they always I have. mean, it just, yeah, it just sounds silly. And it's funny to me the stark change in philosophy because for those who don't remember, and it's probably five years ago now, but they had tried to do eighteen month standard, and <laughs> that was soundly rejected by the player base um apparently and it was one of the only times i've seen so far where wizards actually backpedaled uh on on an implementation so that really speaks to how unbelievably unpopular that decision must have been um this one i definitely see an ups like i i'm definitely it makes me more interested in standard um generally uh there was something really unsatisfying about the last set of the year only being legal for uh, 15 months. That was really weird, right? And now, proportionally, it's a little bit more balanced. Uh, The last set that gets released in a year is now going to be legal for 27 months, which is, uh, I mean, that's a, it's very different. It was always odd that like the last set in a cycle would not be legal for as long. So you just have random cards in there that wouldn't be that popular because they weren't standard as long and, we discover them later in modern or, or then pioneer or something like that. And there's these very short lived standard periods where certain sets came out before a real set. And so you had like a three month standard period where certain card uh, cards were legal. Um, that's often when the most ex- exploration was happening. So I think standard is a very tough nut to crack. Um, that's why I try not to like yeah. give wizard, you know, I like to complain about wizards of course, but 
For standard, I, I think it's borderline insoluble. I think one of the problems with this type of standard move is it's going to be closer to Pioneer as, as they continue to power creep. And if you're going to do that, you might as well just play Pioneer, unless you specifically like don't like the play patterns there. Um, you know, if it, we know that they've really leaned into power creep like the last five years, right? Like almost all of modern is cards from the last five years. Pioneer, you're more and more just playing like the same standard deck plus Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. Um, so if they're going to keep doing that, then Pioneer and Standard are going to look really similar at the end of some of these rotation periods. And then why wouldn't you just play Pioneer? Uh, but, you know, they're in a quarterly uh, mentality. They're, they're trying to make their money each quarter. And Hasbro is, you know, they can only print so many different versions of, you know, Checkers and Monopoly. So this is the only way they can make money. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see the uh, outcome of this. Um I push back a little bit that standard is necessarily going to re uh, resemble pioneer because I think standard is definitely going to be if they keep printing cards the way they do is going to be uh, mostly entirely mid range decks just mashing into each other and at least pioneer has the extremes of some pretty hard control decks and some pretty uh, obscene combo slash engine decks if you want to call them that. Um, this will definitely solve some standards have that issue where when it's a five set standard. Like when we hit rotation, that first three months is weak because there's just there's just no functional decks. Like everything is re just waiting on cards. Um, and then it's going to help that issue of when that last set comes out and you're on an eight set standard like, oh, for three months, we get to play the proper versions of some of these decks. Um, so hopefully that'll be a little bit mitigated, but we'll see. Yeah, the issue of like available dual lands and standard is something that will change i think in this three-year new rotation this came up actually on the there was like a q a they ran in the wizards discord a couple of weeks back and robert taylor mm. shout out to fire shoes said helpfully like screen grabbed the most important discussions that uh andrew brown and huey jensen talked about and then they talked a lot about mana base because in the past they've kind of carefully doled out the available lands tapped duels untapped duels that has greatly affected the speed at which you can play aggro mid-range uh, in the different points of a standard cycle. But now if it's like you just have three years worth of lands at all times and triomes are just going to be here forever, then yeah, it's going to be a mid-range soup. So what, what they said was their solution is going to be to print more monocolored utility lands to at least give the one color or two color decks some trade-off, some benefit from the, not just grabbing the best cards from every color. On the flip side, it could make the current situation even worse if what they start doing is being like, well, now it's a three-year standard, so every other set is going to have dual lands, but it's only going to be half the cycle, but it's actually going to be six out of ten, and then you're going to have to wait six months for the other four instead of three. So I'm just saying there's ways that they can definitely no, screw that up. They're not doing that. No, they, they did talk about the. They said they're not going to slow down the pace of dual lands. They're going to keep printing them at the same pace. Good, 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 good. But at the same time, it's like they have to watch out for the four color, five color mid range soup. Anyway, but this is all a lot of blue sky thinking about uh, the the issue. And uh, generally speaking, I, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's a January problem. That's standard RCQ season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in the next quarter. All right, Zach, anything else that you want to add about, you know, Lord of the Rings or March the Machine, Aftermath, any of this stuff that uh, has been happening while you've been on your ship? I mean, uh, we, we did have an interesting comment. It'll be in the notes here um, about someone really, really not being a fan of March of the Machines Aftermath. Uh, and I guess the concept of mini sets for me, it's it's not a big deal. I It's not. It's a neat little thing that they made. Uh, I think the acquisition of cards from this set is going to be problematic because if it's not built for limited and the way they've priced it is obnoxious the prices on these cards might just be very high and that's frustrating. Um, if I had any more other thoughts, it's they haven't printed enough old border reprints. <laughs> <laughs> and we just recently got uh, the brothers war, which is one of my favorite sets of all time. Thanks to the retro artifact sheet, but still not enough. Come on. It wasn't even included in that. What was it? The uh, legends of the multiverse sheet. Yeah, I don't think they did old frame for that, which 
that was a wild thing. Uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm a little upset that I missed playing limited with these last couple of releases because they seem insane. Lost and Zandy obviously has gotten in my head talking up how great these sets are for limited. But there are a lot of decks I want to talk about that have uh, gone from either um, being kind of very fringe to being, you know, real metagame players uh, or being created whole cloth from the uh, new releases. So uh, hopefully we can get into some of that. Yeah, exactly. So let's shift gears then. So I think what we want to do for the rest of our time here is just highlight some of the stuff that's been going on in modern and pioneer, some of the cool tech, some of the discourse, if you will. And David, I, I want to start with you here first, because you pinged me earlier this week about this meltdown that was happening in pioneer <laughs> over the Boros Hogak deck. What the heck is Boros Hogak? Yeah, so I don't know who the first person is who proposed it, so I, I feel bad that we're not going to give that person the right amount of credit, but um, they took the idea of playing the 8 of Thraben Inspector, Voldar and Epicure, so that's a creature that makes an artifact. Then on turn 2, you can cast Gleeful Demolition, turn the artifact into 3-1-1s, and if you play your second land, you can cast... Venerated Loxodon or Knight Errant of Eos. Um, so this is actually a shell. I had proposed 4th Raven, 4 Valderan Epicure, 4 Gleeful Defin Demolition, 4 Venerated Loxodon uh, to you in the, in the chat at various times. We kind of put it aside. I'd never really followed up on it. The uh, Rule of Eight, though, this like Knight Errant of Eos, it turned out that this deck became uh, kind of the next level. Now, people have played a bunch of different versions uh, with or without... Uh, Burning Tree Emissary, with or without Reckless Bushwhacker, uh, with or without Clarion Spirit. Um, I think most people are playing for Ornithopter. So basically you have a deck that's an all-in aggro deck, and it's trying to do this on turn two, or, you know, go super wide, and then a Bushwhacker. So it's a it's a, a Bushwhacker deck. We've had those variants exist in Modern, right? At various points, they've been almost playable before Fury and, and uh, everything else. Um... So yeah, the deck kind of burst on the scene. Again, I don't I don't know who the first person who five voted with it. A few people who stream, of course, the the Magic Online community is super parasitic. As soon as any new deck does well, all the same ten streamers just play the exact same deck, and this is no different. So the the Pioneer streamers all play the exact same deck. It ended up being two uh, versions of this deck played in the final of a challenge. And so obviously one yep. of them, the winner was <laughs> a red, white convoke deck. And then people just started picking it up. And then of course, a lot of people who uh, play all day long just began to complain bitterly that this deck was broken and wizards needs to do something. And then there was like the anti those people that, you know, pioneers always been like this. And then it was pioneer needs better interaction. This exacerbates the play draw, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so the entire play pattern of this deck the discourse around the deck being broken people just mindlessly playing whatever the deck of the week is without thinking and then the discourse about if there should be a ban and then the anti-discourse to that discourse has all just been purely terrible uh there's just literally nothing positive other than the first guy or gal who came up with the deck that person is awesome shout outs to them uh, everybody else is uh is disgraced themselves as far as i'm concerned uh Interestingly, I ran into this deck today, and in game one, they put, it was like, I don't know, 12 power into play on turn two or something like that, and then I just demolished them in game two and three, where they kind of futzed around and didn't do anything, because I had a modicum of interaction, which is a fairly reasonable demand of you if you want to play the Pioneer format. Like, you need, reasonably, you need to be able to deal with a turn one mana elf, right, David? So it's like... This is not, I don't see this sticking around as a serious problem. And we'll see with next weekend's challenges. I see this very much actually as a uh, mono green deck. So right. if, if you're trying to do your linear thing, which so many people are trying to do, I watched Aspiring Spike play a bunch of linear decks today, and you don't interact with this deck, yeah, it's going to beat you every time. It and mono green are doing a thing that's way better than any other linear format. So if you're choosing not to interact, that's fine. Then you do have to play a fast deck. And people don't want to do that. So they play a slightly less of uh, streamlined deck and then they get really mad that these decks are better and it's just that's just how it's going to be i don't know what to tell you <laughs> uh i i'm going to shout out sodek mtg at mtg sodek i don't know if he's the first person who played it 
Um, but he is the one who won the challenge and he five owed before the challenge as well. So he is among the innovators. He played a bunch of crazy cards. Like I, I think that uh, Burning Tree Emissary is a crucial card. He he was playing Plarg as a two of in some of these lists. I you know I, I'm not going to pretend like I understand the lists or anything, but <laughs> you can kind of throw anything in there. <laughs> I think the Plarg is mainly for the backside, which is Augusta. Yes, but Plarg is the card when you okay, write it down sure. on your <laughs> sheet. You say Plarg, Dean of Chaos, <laughs> instead of Burning Tree Emissary. <laughs> I guess that's pretty cute. With the like tap and untap, it grants different bonuses to your creatures. Yeah, it's it's a lord. It's a lord. That's also a creature. So, and I was mentioning to Dan as a historical note, and I put a link here for the uh, mono white Gak deck. So, if you hit that, you'll see uh, a custom goldfish search that I put together, and you'll see a streak in 2020 between uh, 07-21 and 08-14. So, this was a deck. Uh, that was nicknamed Mono White Gak. It's the same thing that happened in Modern of someone just threw together all these like white token creators with Intangible Virtue, Force of Virtue, and uh, Venerated Loxanon. So, and it was very much a flash in the pan thing of people were complaining. They were like, oh my God, we need to ban something. They're putting, you know, 10 power into play by turn three. It's just whole Gak all over again and then disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, this deck looks horrible. And the thing that like takes it all to the next level is that you have the, the, you have these decks that have the convoke mechanic, and so people <laughs> yeah. are like, "Oh, it's like Hogak," <laughs> which is even funnier, right? <laughs> right. It's like it, it's not just all. Oh, it's, it's like this this yeah. aggro deck. You know, we don't quite have the tools to deal with it. And you know, when people play these all in aggro decks, it whatever play draw matters a lot. Okay, those are all like reasonable complaints. I feel like I'm playing against Hogak again. Is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, Clearly people who never played against Hogak. Clearly people who never put a Leyline of the Void into play on turn zero and then lost. Then like lost effortlessly. In their main deck. In their main deck. So just the Hogak comparison also just took it all into the Twilight Zone. (laughs) Like, oh, everyone involved just has no clue what the fuck they're talking about. And everyone just just decided (laughs) to be a moron. No one's trying to adapt. Now you have people just farming leagues because they're just like playing a couple of sweepers in their main deck. And then convoke players are like oh this deck is unplayable right now this sucks it's like yeah i cast anger the gods on turn three and you can't win (laughs) i mean i won't even point out some of these people one person complained like i had a two mana removal spell and a three mana sweeper and i lost the game on turn six this is totally broken they're complaining about a turn six loss i lost a magic (laughs) game on turn six And I spent a total of five mana at some point in the middle of the game. It's like, what are you talking about? You've never lost on turn six before with a two mana removal spell and a anger of God, anger of the gods in your hand. It's just ridiculous. The complaints people are making. Hmm. Uh, turning to the, the lighter side of things and the more fun side of things that I haven't got to play yet, but man, am I excited? Uh, apparently now Dan bears some resemblance to the one punch frog. I believe uh, <laughs> if anyone's an anime fan. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he does look a little bit like one punch man. No, I do. That's uh, like, that's my <laughs> faith is brilliant token card. I'm the monastery mentor. I have the same haircut as those monks. So. Yeah, you, you do. You do have a monkish aura about you and you spend a surprising amount of times uh, time in monasteries, uh, considering that it's 2023. I do. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote my uh, PhD thesis all about monasteries, so it's a it's a very personal thing. There you go. And I'm glad to see that One Punch Man still relevant. So, did your original version have Crag and Wick Cremator in it? I don't know if that's the case, but either way, Gorio's through the breach, featuring Yargle and Voltani, uh, Crag and Wick Cremator, Emrakul, and uh, what is very similar to what I remember as the grilled cheese deck. Uh, it was a guy named MTG Grilled Cheese, I think, who put together this red-black Gorios Through the Breach deck that had uh, Asmo uh, and the food package sort of as its plan B. And really was super fun, really, really exciting. Uh, never rose to particularly high heights, but now with the addition of Yargle and Multani and Kragan with Cremator uh, is putting up very top challenge results. In two different versions. Yeah, so 
the reason I put this on the outline was because like we like to plan our seasons based on how relevant a card will be or how excited we are for it. And David, you and I were both very excited about the Chrome host Seed Shark, perhaps unjustifiably so, I'm not sure, but we wanted that to be our first card. Well, you did call that it wasn't going to be good. I mean, I would say we've determined it's not good. <laughs> I'll conclude yeah, But you also <laughs> said we both like it. It can't be good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't actually, I haven't seen that many people playing it, to be honest. And it's like the number one card in limited, even better than Sunfall by some metrics. Oh my so, God, the limited, <laughs> the, the, the number one card <laughs> oh, in limited. Exactly. I, I got more of those coming up this week. We shouldn't even brew. We should just <laughs> wait. We should let a set come out, wait six weeks. Only brew, like number one card limited, brew on that. Number two card, that's week two. Like we're just on a six week delay. <laughs> what is Ben Stark drafting invasion first? Invasion of Amonkhet. You all laughed at Invasion of Amonkhet. Another overperformer in limited that's doing very well in constructed. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. Is it? Is it? Yes. Question mark. It is. It really is. Anyway, I'm I'm off track. All right, but I'm let's track. But let let let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to dealing 18 damage to your opponent. My point. Okay, my point was as I was thinking about you know Chrome Host Sea Shark, I just I couldn't get this damn frog off the brain, and I ended up like destroying up a bunch of lists. I was working off the grilled cheese template, so it was a known template. So I'm not surprised that the list that I proposed were basically this list. I just stared at the existing Emrakul Asmo Kitchen deck and just tried to trim or cut things until I could fit in exactly for Yargol and Multani's and exactly for Kraken Cremators. And we had a couple of versions of that. We had a red-green version, we had a black-red version, which turns out to be the most successful one. I did not get to test it at all, but other people have picked it up. Um, again, because like Zach is saying, this is like a somewhat known shell, and it's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's exciting to see that it's um, succeeding in two different versions. So the the one that you've highlighted here is the Gorios Through the Breach is, is what it's li- listed as. Uh, it's got Asmo and, and Voldaren Epicure, a um, couple copies of Oval Chase Daredevil, and then a little bit surprisingly, the full four profane tutors. Um it would be surprising if it just didn't make sense that you have multiple AB combos. Um, and then the kind of secret sauce of this deck is that Unworld Cookbook and Asmo together allow you to set up very carefully, I say carefully, for um, Kragenwick Cremator to dome your opponent. And the interesting thing about this is this deck then plays uh, in such a way that it doesn't actually need its graveyard to set up its combo that deals uh, 15 or 18 damage to your opponent. So Kragenwick Cremator, for those who don't remember this card, is uh, two red red for a 5-4 giant shaman. When it uh, enters the battlefield, discard a card at random. If you discard a creature card this way, it deals damage equal to that card's power to target player. Uh, So basically what you do is you play that and then you have used Underworld Cookbook to make sure your hand is either exactly Yargle and Multani, exactly Emrakul, or maybe both. Um, so whatever number of cards you have in your hand, that they're all big guys that are going to smack them in the face for 15, which is usually good enough, and 18, which is almost definitely good enough. Yeah, there's a surprising number of A plus B configurations that get the job done. So if Cookbook comes down on turn one, you could die to Agorio's Vengeance as soon as the next turn. If Saga comes down on turn one, that means Cookbook is coming on turn three. And again, that could be the same turn or one turn before Profane Tutor comes off suspend. So something's going to happen. You're probably getting comboed. But even if you're not getting comboed, you know, you still have to deal with the Asmo. You still have to deal with the Construct tokens. There's still Oval Chase Daredevils here, which may seem counterintuitive because that kind of clutters up your hand to prevent you from successfully using the Cremator's random discard. But Cookbook actually just solves all your problems. Just you don't have to return the Daredevil if you don't want to. I believe that's true. Mm-hmm. No, you don't have to. Yeah. So if you're if you're yeah. gonna do the cremator, that's thing, why it's it's an annoying thing that you have to keep keep, keep up to keep clicking yes. <laughs> Click yes it's or changing no, zones. Yeah. yeah, and you've got four thoughtsies that helps you punch through uh you know whatever interaction that people may have, um, and then it's still a Gorio's Vengeance deck. So the one card that I was wondering if I should have included was Shadow Spear, um, mm. commonly seen in Saga decks, but the specific interaction I was interested in is what if I have to Goryos on Yorgol and they have a blocker, right? right. Like Shadow Spear right. would actually help a ton in that situation. It becomes a four mana play, but you're attacking with a 19 power trample lifelink creature at that point. Um, but they're not playing it. So maybe it's just not necessary. 
I think the assumption is that if you have enough mana to make that four mana play, that you probably have an Asmo and two food to ping down whatever's going to get in the way. Um, I would also assume that going for a Yargle and Multani punch to the face is something you want to do either on turn two or if they like again, if you have a way to clear the blockers, because this deck is uh, is able to be fairly grindy. Yeah, I think Lawson had recommended manifold key as an option for this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, make it unblockable. Legit unblockable. Or untap your cookbook for an extra token. Anyway, just cool to see. Yeah. Also, if you Gorio's Vengeance on their end step, uh, it can be, uh, you can pay in installments. So you can Gorio's Vengeance on their end step and then uh, either equip or, or activate a key on your turn. So you could pay two, then three or or what have you. But those are certified so, bad ideas. It's a pretty tight list. I mean, <laughs> I, I would not play any of these cards. <laughs> no. Fair enough. I mean, Fair enough. Th- yeah, absolutely. There's also a distinctly different version that I included a link for. Hold on. So this is the one without Kragen with Cremator. Just I think it bears mentioning because it's had a few league finishes. And this is playing a copy of Atraxa, some copies of Grizzlebrand. And doesn't have any Kragenwick cremators, no Yargle and Multanis. It's just a, uh, a Gorios Vengeance shell uh, that's featuring Atraxa, which has probably been around in the last couple of months, but it's still performing okay and has a lot of the same features as this deck. There's also a Jund Agro that has Kragenwicks and Yargles and does not have any Gorios. It's more like a Jund mm-hmm. Traverse Agro. And I got a couple of 5 O's, one from Bench Summer, it's a great brewer, uh, one from Niku Niku. So, Yargal and Motani, they laughed at us when we did that as our second card of the season, but there it is. <laughs> it's a vanilla legend. Exactly. Also, you know, four mana, five, four, nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking at that card and going, how is this so reasonably sized? Cheaper fire elemental? I mean, how, how's, that a, how's that legal? <laughs> Power creep. The card is from 2006. <laughs> I expected it to be a 2-3. Like anyone remember Balduvian hordes? <laughs> Was that five, oh five man, of course. It's nice to play one of creature course. that wasn't printed in Modern Horizons. So you know it's like <laughs> or post Modern Horizons. Cracking with Cream Raider yeah. is the is the card. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. So from from there we go to some miscellaneous decks. What have you guys been liking lately? What have you been seeing? Um, well, my first stream back, I was playing some uh, mono black coffers. Uh, I heard uh, Lawson and uh, Moore discussing how this deck has been doing. I looked online and indeed, it's been doing very, very well. Uh, when I left for this contract, it was about five months ago. This deck was very fringe. Uh, it was only a, lo- a very small number of people who were playing it and it wasn't doing particularly well but it's really uh i don't know if it's just the metagame of modern jogging around or uh, if there have been major developments in it but it's it's uh it's much more successful it's fun and powerful to play if you like karn the great creator and big mana um and being able to interact more than most of the tron variants do uh check that out because it's a lot of fun so a list that i want to highlight is a modern list featuring Pia Nalar Council of Revival. This is a new rare from March of the Machine Aftermath. And David, it's one that you and I have been kind of, you know, it's been nagging at us at the back of our heads because it just looks so sweet, right? So it's red, white, legendary human artificer, 2-3. Thoppers you control have haste. <laughs> Whenever you play a land from exile or cast a spell from exile, create a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying. So we talked about this, David, and I think, you know, we're, we're intrigued by the idea of like, you know, eight copies of Reckless Impulse with the new one uh, or 12 if you want to play Light Up the Stage. Maybe there's something there. Well, it turns out that friend of the show, Dak Faden 7 a great YouTuber and sometime streamer, he's been cranking out some sweet, sweet stuff. He's got seven trophies already this season with just absolute sick brews, and they're all on his YouTube channel. I highly recommend checking that out. He decided to take Pia Nalar and go straight into Modern, just bypass Pioneer, go straight into Modern, and he rattled off a 5-0 with what is mainly a mono-red prowess deck, but playing three copies of Pia Nalar. So mono-red prowess, we're talking about Swift Spear, Soulscar Mage, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt. Good cards, but they don't actually work with Pia. So the cards that work with Pia are 
your four light up the stage, your four reckless impulse, and then he's playing three copies of Abbot of Carol Keep, which technically exiles a card. You can then play it from exile and get a Thopter if you want. So it's actually a fairly small Pia package, but it got the job done and uh, perhaps a testament to the power of the ceiling of this card when it's doing its thing. Yeah, I think you don't need that much. If you just played a two mana two three that made two Thopters, that would be a broken card. And that's all, I think that's all you need to get out of this. A two mana two three that gives you a one one Thopter is actually maybe close. Yeah, he's Thopters. It's got a better base stat line than uh, Third Path Iconoclast, and the fact that the Thopters have haste in your aggro burn deck kind of really feels like it seals the deal for me. Um, in that these kind of like bursty prowess decks are always going to find wins. Um, people are always playing dirtly decks that can't survive this. Or, you know, Hammer Time. There's no way Hammer Time is going to beat this level of Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt, uh, Density with Underworld Breach. So. Uh, it's good to see. And mutagenic growth with flyers is really good to finish the game. Yep. Yep. Is there any other card besides Pia that rewards you for playing from exile? Besides see the truth. Don't say see the truth. <laughs> say anything uh, else. Not, not that I know of. I want to say for sure there's an entire commander deck that's based on that, probably with one or two commander only legends yeah there's that like owl cards like one a white and a blue for a two two flying if you play something from exile you draw a card oh, yes um, um that was from call time right but not much i mean but it is a more uh frequent thing that they're doing uh playing things from exile in red obviously over the last five or six years has become much more prolific so maybe there will be more payoffs to come if uh pia sees more results yeah, it was unfortunate. Like, I was actually putting together a deck, um, but with Red White Convoke being everywhere and then everyone being ready to fight Red White Convoke and Pioneer, you just, this is a bad time to try out your PNLR brew. <laughs> People are yeah. ready for a bunch of 1 1 tokens. Anger the gods go mess you up good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or illness in the ranks, or et cetera, et cetera. Don't be afraid to register Anger of the Gods over uh, Brotherhood's End. It, it is, the Exile Clause is very useful a large number of the time. Just don't forget that. Uh, if I have any pioneer advice for anyone. All right. Well, from PNLR, I do want to ask you, Zach, about Chandra Hope's Beacon. This is from March of the Machine main set. It's one of those planeswalkers that just has so much text that it's got to be good. On the other hand, it costs six mana. I saw you streaming this today. Tell me about the deck you were playing and what did you make of the card? Yeah, so I actually played two decks uh, basically in the last 24 hours with this card. So first of all, the the card itself, uh, Chandra Hope Speakin. So it's uh, six mana, uh, and the name on the normal printing is difficult to read because there's so much fire. Um, it's four red red for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker Chandra with a obscenely powerful static text, which is whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. It's got a plus two loyalty, uh, add two mana in any combination of colors, plus one loyalty, uh, exile the top five cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may cast an instant or sorcery from among these exiled cards. And finally, minus X, Chandra Hopes Beacon deals X damage to each of two targets. Um, this is an unbelievably powerful six mana planeswalker. Uh, so both the decks I played were in the pioneer format. Um, pioneer is the place where I've played the largest number of six mana planeswalkers, whether they be six mana Elspeth, uh, I think six mana Sorin. Um, it, it's a format that I feel lends itself to, you can actually pull this stuff off, uh, without things going ludicrously well in your favor. Um, and the, the deck that uh, caught my eye, I had a link here for, which was linked to us, of course, by Fireshoes, was a European RCQ winner um, who was basically playing a turns deck with Chandra Hope's Beacon and full four copies of All Runs Epiphany, um, if anyone remembers that notorious card from Standard. And of course, the synergy there is if you cast that with Chandra in play, you get to take two extra turns, you get four birds. Basically, that, that combination of cards is going to kill them on the spot. Uh, that was the first league I played, and it is a 2-3, and the deck felt mostly kind of okay, but it was very clunky, and not one time did I actually ever get to, like, cast Chandra into another large spell. 
Um, I was either winning games with her on her own uh, very rarely, or it was just the all runs epiphanies and um, uh, other sort of chip shots that were taking people down. Uh, at that point, I, I talked to you folks about it, and Dan actually or David actually um, linked me to TSP Yendrick's version uh, of a similar deck. It has no taking turn spells in it, but that's fine. Um, because it is just generally much better set up to compete in the Pioneer metagame. And what really uh, swayed me very quickly was the two copies of Light Up the Stage. This is a card we highlighted during uh, the Midnight Hunt uh, preview season. Uh, X in a red uh, deals X damage to any target. If that target is a creature or planeswalker, you get to uh, add plus one. So for a single red mana, it can kill a mana elf. Um, but it is, you know, a fireball or a blaze, if you want to call it that. Um, but it is a very unique flashback of three in red. Uh, you remove loyalty counters from a planeswalker you control. Um, so when you play Chandra Hope's Beacon, uh, and then you light up uh, the night, sorry, light up the night, light up the night is the name of the card, light up the night with her in play, uh, you will get to copy your light up the night. Uh, today, I took someone down with a 20 damage burn to the face, two copies of 10. Uh, for light up the night but you can also remove her down to one loyalty um if you want to uh get that copied actually hold on my judge sense is tingling i think you can remove all the loyalty counters from chandra paying this um and you will still get the trigger to copy it don't quote me on that uh judge rob can correct me but i'm fairly certain you'll still get the trigger because we won't chase uh, check state-based uh actions until after you've put the spell on the stack at which point chandra will have already triggered that sounds right but yeah are you saying this was a main part of the plan or this was just a cute thing that came up some of the time i i mean if you look at the deck there's not a lot of other ways to win um resolving the chandra is usually step one uh, you have Shark Typhoons and you have Hall of Storm Giants. Uh, but other than that, realistically, this deck is kind of mid-range or controlling blue-red deck, which uh, wants to resolve that Planeswalker and win the game. Um, one of the other ways that I won a lot of games is when you resolve that Chandra, you immediately cast either Dig Through Time or you uh, cast your Foretold Behold the Multiverse at which point you get to draw four cards with an unbelievable amount of selection and your opponent concedes on the spot because they can't possibly beat that. Uh, that happened several times. Yeah, I mean, that's the dream for this genre. As you play here, you immediately do something insane with the plus two to add mana and doubling it. But the most broken things you can do are drawing cards. So that means you're spending your entire turn six mana plus something else to just, just to draw cards. So that does require being stable, right? Like you have to have gotten to the stage of the game yeah but that's why pretty much everything else in this deck is interaction and actually i feel like i i did a disservice to this deck because there is another win condition which i'm sure is just due to my lack of experience with it it's a really complicated card to play with is divide by zero which i'm sure david has some thoughts on um if we can borrow him for a second because this was uh, perplexing to me to actually in get engaged with the play patterns of this card yeah, I think Divide by Zero is a card that's been adopted by a lot of like blue-red and even some blue-black control. At times, there's been salt-like control lists where they just... Whenever you have an excess of mana, Divide by Zero is an interesting way to turn a poor interactive spell early in the game into also a win condition, right? So it's three-quarters of an interactive spell. You staple on the uh, the ability to go find your max uh, mascot exhibition. Copying mascot exhibition is really difficult for just a normal mid-range deck to interact with, right? They'll fatal push a couple of the bigger creatures. You're left with a two, you know, a couple two one flyers and a three two or whatever. Um, and then divide by zero also like buys you a turn against combo, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's been a card that people want to exploit. Chandra gives you a bunch of mana, uh, and divide by zero gives you something to do with it. We've we've thought of divide by zero with with the um, the four mana artifact that gets oil counters that reduces the cost of spells. The Salti list, which is really the only list that's ever been successful with Divide by Zero and Pioneer, um, was using it with five mana Nissa that was letting you tap all your forest for extra mana. So mm. Chandra, sort of like a Nissa, sort of like um, five mana to Fairy, where the turn you played it gives you two mana back. So it kind of cheats on the cost, and in theory lets you you know play Chandra plus her cast two fiery impulses like Dan says, stabilize the board. 
And then in theory, that next turn you get to untap and do some hopefully broken things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that she copies a spell on your turn and your opponent's turn makes it, once you untap with the card, I don't know that I've ever lost a game. It's very kind of Hullbreaker Horror-esque. Uh, it is expensive. It can be countered, unlike Hullbreaker Horror. <laughs> it can be countered, doesn't have flash, uh, but it is it is more powerful because it, it finds its own fuel with the plus yeah. one. Looking at the top five cards is an obscene number. Like, it's ridiculous. And not only that, you would think, well, you have to play it by the end of your turn. No, no until the end of your next turn. You can play counter spells off of this. It's ridiculous. Oh, I did not realize that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Or draw spells or whatever it is that you need to do. Um so turning fiery impulse into, you know, two two three damage bursts, uh being able to just double anger of the gods sometimes it's just it just kills everything. Uh, I killed two torrential gear hulks today uh, with that. So feels good. Feels good. It, it, the league ended up being a two, three, but again, I, I am, you know, not super experienced in the pioneer format. Um, another thing that's worth highlighting in the difference of these two decks was this one was playing three copies of field of ruin. The other one was playing none. Uh, and that is a card that you really need to, if you're going to play this kind of slow controlling deck, very important. So the verdict so far is impressive card when you have it, fun deck, not yet above the 50% win rate, though. I mean, not in my hands. Uh, Obviously, there are other people who are doing well with it. Uh, It's one of those, like, time will tell if this is one of the better versions of these blue-red piles or if something else better comes together. But certainly very enjoyable. And, you know, like, if you're playing blue-red, mid-range blue-red control, there's just so many options. You can play creativity yep. and there's like three different versions of that you can just play blue red control with like torrential gear hulk on top uh no creativity uh so this has a lot of work i think to do not that chandra isn't a powerful card of course it is is it more powerful than these other options um and and, and it's not clear right we've we this deck was sort of only found like uh, zach said somewhat recently we haven't really seen it play out what matchups is it good against that you know, the transmogrify variants are worse against, et cetera. And the, again, just to retread on to, I think one of the disparities between modern and pioneer that a lot of people feel when they get into pioneer is it is so important to build and sequence your interaction in a way where modern, it's just, well, everything does everything. Everything does everything. You have counterspell, it counters everything. You have prismatic ending or leyland binding, they exile everything. A lightning bolt, you point at face, you point at creatures, whatever you want. And the gameplay in this format is very different in that you have this deck is playing abrades and negates hmm. in the main deck. And there will be some matchups where those cards are of very limited use and you need to be careful to line them up. Um, which was what I was talking about with the lack of experience sometimes. Like I could really feel like, oh, red black resolved uh Reckoner Bankbuster, and they just got a lot out of that that i wasn't able to deal with um and it was either because i didn't have the right piece of interaction for it or because maybe i'd fired off unwisely at the wrong target earlier so uh a lot to learn if you're paying attention well said all right david what about you you've highlighted an interesting deck here from pioneer that i don't quite understand yeah, so this is sort of like an elves deck. It has four collected company. It has uh, 11 one-mana elves because we're counting Jasper Sentinel. I guess 12 if you want to count Deathrite Shaman. Um, so it sort of plays like like an elf deck. You have four Leaf Crown Visionary. That card's awesome. Four Elvish Warmaster. That card's pretty good. Only two Shaman of the pack. And then you have this Court of Calling package where you can summon a wide variety of possibly useful cards a haywire might a death right shaman a mass vandal a scavenger Ooze, a circle of dreams druid a plucranos reborn a toski bear of secrets we haven't seen toski in a while um so yeah just really interesting design uh i think the black green elves deck is pretty mediocre uh you know we, we see one in the 5-0 deck dump all the time this is an interesting idea your entire sideboard is black cards um 
And most of them aren't even creatures that you can tutor. There's like a one of Revoker, one of Shieldred. Everything else is interaction for less fair decks. Um, I just like the angle that this deck is taking. You're not all in on just having a bunch of elves in play with Shaman. With the number of sweepers people are playing, maybe this is just a bad time to play elves. Um, But I love the Court of Calling package and then just building in, you know, pseudo answers uh, into your main deck. Yeah, I just assumed that Shaman of the Pack was the most important creature, but they've gone from four copies to two, so clearly that's not the case. Well, the problem with Shaman of the Pack is it's bad on turn two. So you have this three drop you never want a one, three, skip to. So it creates a weird tension. You only want it when your board is big. It's terrible after a sweeper, which is a strange thing for your more expensive card to be. Like, oh, they tapped out to sweep me. Now I get to resolve my three mana cards. Like, okay, a 3-2 that does a damage to your opponent is <laughs> wildly unplayable. Um, so I actually kind of like it as more of like a tutor target. Mm. Uh, actually, we should shout out the player here. This is Rage underscore HS with the, uh, with the 5-0. Yeah, it's a bigger toolbox package than I would have expected also in the main deck. Some of these are elves, but some are not. It's like, why is there one Pelucanos in here? Is that have some sort of silver bullet capacity that I'm not seeing? Yeah, I think it's uh, a reach card against uh, spirits. It can become a lifelink creature if you just have a ton of mana. Hmm. Um, and you need to win a race. And it's resistant to removal once it flips, obviously. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen this thing flipped yet, but uh, that's a yikes. All right, well, congrats to Rage HS on the 5-0, and yeah, I mean, I guess you have to go back to the drawing board, because we know that the regular Elves deck is not knocking anyone's socks off. Yeah, I, th- I think you just have to be on the play, like, for your five games in a league, and then just, like, play favorable matchups and draw well. I mean, it, it, it is a deck that has powerful draws, but it is not consistently powerful. It it it's generally seems like a, like a clearly weaker version of Mono Green, and I say that because it's Virtually the same colors, virtually the same couple turns, and it just has different payoffs in Court of Calling and Collected Company. Court of Calling, by the way, did not realize this was Pioneer Legal because I don't make it, I don't remember it making a lot of splashes before now. Um, we're Collected Company. This has been a Collected Company format for much of its existence. Yeah, Court is just not that efficient if you don't have some of the cheaty enablers that Modern has. So, yeah. And if your bullets are not that important, it's just not that good of a card. Like, you'd just rather have Tyvar or whatever else you want in that slot. So there's one last deck I want to mention. This deck is not good, as far as I can tell, but it's playing a new card from Merchant Machine Aftermath. Samut Vizier of Noctamun. Desparked Samut. One green red. Two three. Legendary Human Warrior Cleric. First Strike Vigilance Haste. Oh boy, that's a lot of stuff. Okay, so three drop with first strike, vigilance, and haste, and you should see the original. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's she's lost a, lost a step or two here. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, if that creature enters the battlefield this turn, draw a card. Okay, so it's kind of a, a haste lord, right? Creatures that enter the battlefield this turn get to draw cards if they damage. However, the player Dookie Trouser MD on Magic Online ended up going a slightly <laughs> different direction. Yeah, I mean, they worked hard enough to get this deck published. We should at least acknowledge their username. <laughs> <laughs> they played a Gruel Aggro deck that, you know, it had some haste creatures. Like there's a Legion Loyalist here, there's Monastery Mentor, there's Reckless Bushwhacker, and there's, of course, Samut herself. But. It was also using some sneaky ways to trigger Samut. Uh, specifically, it was using Kari Zev, a Skyship Raider, who creates a Ragavan token, and Kumano Faces Kakazan, which will come off uh, its third chapter three uh, on the same turn you play Samut. So both of those, Kari Zev and Kumano Faces Kakazan, are capable of drawing a card off Samut the turn she comes down. Potentially, Samut herself will also deal damage, so you could be drawing two cards that turn, which I thought was very cute. Yeah, I love this design. Like, they found a bunch of cards that... Because I was always like, well, a 2-3 that draws a card when it hits them with haste is pretty mediocre. I still actually think <laughs> Samut is just not a good card, but this is just an incredible job of, like, maximizing what this card does and asks you to do. Drawing cards in your deck full of a bunch of 1-mana 2-2s with no abilities is not that powerful. Because <laughs> you're just going to draw a bunch more Legion Loyalists and 
uh, Kari Zevs and Felden <laughs> Ronum excavators. Um, but uh, this this deck design is is a plus, like absolutely top notch job by this person. And when you team up a wide hasty board with a Tarkas command, people just die. Like that's that's always been true, right? Like if they stumble, they're they're going down. Well, that's the hope, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they got their ninth place finish in a Pioneer Preliminary, so. <laughs> two and one for a good for ninth place. not last. <laughs> in a Pioneer Preliminary. Hey, they went two and one. I, I don't know what that means that they went two and one, because I'm pretty sure preliminaries are supposed to be four rounds, but, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the previous summit, um, and that made me think of a five-mana summit, which has all these keywords, including yeah, that one. strike and haste. And it reminded me, David, of the Urborg Scavengers deck that you'd proposed a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. where we're looking for cards that grant scavengers haste, right? That's probably the most important keyword to make the scavenger like do the real soul flare thing. And I think we had Adult Gold Dragon and Questing Beast in there, but I saw Deck Fade in 07 trying this out in, in Modern, and he was playing Summit instead, the five mana Summit, uh, I think instead of Questing Beast. And I was wondering if that was like maybe like a more useful creature overall for the Urborg scavenger package. Yeah, I guess the uh, if you get to draw it up where you are casting your scavengers, it's not dying and it's getting to target a creature. Yeah, you'd rather have a uh, double strike and haste. I just, the questing beast is actually a card you can play because hmm. that deck was all salt eye. And so if you just want to say, okay, if I, if we don't get to do the thing with our eight, um, you know, creatures, then we're just going to lose. Then you should do Samet is, is better than Questing Beast. But in theory, that deck could just play its fourth land and cast Questing Beast, which is actually True. okay against a handful of decks. So that was my thought process. But yeah, I, I think Samet, or maybe you want to do like two and two or something like that. But the thought was, especially in post-board games, your graveyard's going to really be under assault, right? So mm. being able to cast your four mana four, four, that is like, okay. I mean, we know that Questing Beast isn't like blowing your own socks off, but if they're like loaded up on all this graveyard hate and they have a lot of like effects that kill your scavengers, like the stomp and, you know, red removal, Questing Beast lines up really well with like the deck that ja- Zach was just talking about. There's no four damage spell in the whole list, right? So I'm playing Questing Beast. I'm smashing into you a bunch of times before you're getting to interact with it. Uh, is is a thought process there. I don't, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but somewhat is definitely a card people should consider. Hell, this somewhat has <laughs> first strike vigilance and haze. You can have <laughs> Samet Tribal. <laughs> the, well, the other one had the hilarious uh, flash and haste, which was always a delight. Vigilance too, right? Yeah. And double strike. What is vigilance and then it, what is it? It, it tap a white and it and it gave target creature. Oh, yeah. Something. That's right. It had a Double weird strike? activated ability too. Yeah, it was like it was and a red green t- card, but it was secretly Naya. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. And on top of top of that, my favorite thing about it was that their explanation was we put every keyword on there that you would associate with speed because Samet's supposed to be like the Flash oh uh, in our wow. in our Jastis League. Wow. <laughs> and then no, no. And then on top of top of that, I know David doesn't care about the story, and you shouldn't because it includes bullshit like this. The first scene that Samet's in gets caught by random palace guards while running away from them. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing here? Are you serious? What? So so the five mana Samet, by the way, grants all other creatures you control have haste. I didn't re- remember that. There you go. And then the white mana uh-huh. ability is it untaps another target creature. So oh. instead ah, of okay. it having vigilance, it basically gives it to something else. It bestows its vigilance yes. upon others. Ah, I got it, got it, got it cool well well kudos to uh that pilots and uh yeah interesting to see if anything comes to these urborg scavengers or samut aggro decks so we're just about out of time but uh zach david anything else you want to shout out while we're still here uh if you like my stream uh pay attention to uh your twitter if you follow me on twitter uh, and pay attention to your Twitch uh, notifications. I don't have a solid schedule yet, but uh, I'll be around for the next couple weeks, and I'm excited to play a bunch of Magic. If you're going to be at the... I, I don't know if it's an RC or it's the, the face-to-face tour weekend in Toronto. I will be there. If you want to say hi, please say hi, um, because uh, I like meeting all the people who want to say hi to me. There hasn't yet been one who's a jerk. <laughs> you could always break you, you that, You can though. be the first. <laughs> you can be the first. 
Um, I've, I've, I remember my first hurtful YouTube comment, and uh, that's the day I knew I made it. And uh, so you could be the one who lets me know that I've upgraded to a, a D-tier magic celebrity from E-tier. Real fans stab in the chest, so just go up to Zach at his next event and just <laughs> yeah, walk yeah, straight that's up right. to you him gotta do it to their face. kick him in the... In the pants. No, the first thing you do is say, <laughs> no team. offense, but, and yeah. then, like, insert yep, yep, fucked up yep, thing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Zach, glad to have you back. Really great to see you. We'll be tuning into the stream. Hope to see you again soon. Get some rest. David, you and I will be closely tracking all the news coming up next week. We got a banning. We got uh, some Lord of the Rings coming up. But you and I will instead be delving deep into activated abilities. We're going to be talking about Omen Hawker and Training Grounds in our next episode. So stay tuned for that and we'll see you all next time. All right. Take care, gentlemen. Best of luck with the Cephalids. <laughs> Decklist for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for new brews with Omen Hawker and Training Grounds. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.